0: Joining the IPG Media Lab up here on floor nine. I am your host, Scott Elcherson, and join with me as always is Christina Andronli from our strategy team. Hello. And Adam Simon from our strategy team. Hello. Uh, So this week we will be discussing our 2019 Outlook titled Unintended Consequences. Um, Adam, it's a bit dark this year uh, compared to other Outlooks we've written.
1: What's what's the deal? <laughs> what happened? <laughs> Christina's shaking her head. She doesn't think it's dark. It's a bit. It's a bit dark. I, I would say. Uh, it it. You know, there's a lot of things going on, and we we normally like to start the outlook by looking at what is happening in the tech industry and then spending the bulk of it um, on how that sort of ripples out into other corners of our culture and other industries. And uh, things in the tech industry right now are pretty dark. I think we turned a corner where in the past you know eighteen months or so, Uh, where, uh, consumer sentiment towards the technology industry and, um, it's becoming less optimistic. The, you know, techno optimism that has been driving the past, you know, 15 years of innovation. I think people it's not that technology is going away or that it's bad or that people want to get rid of it entirely. I think it's just that we're seeing the negative side effects of a lot of uh, the tech tech industry and how quickly we've grown over the past couple decades um, and how quickly it's transformed our lives. And all of a sudden, uh, you know, maybe we need to pause and reset a little bit before mm-hmm. we move on into letting tech transform healthcare and transportation and finances and things like that.
0: Yeah, because these larger, more regulated industries, um, which traditionally we have not seen uh, in the tech industry, there really has been no sort of no sorts of regulation, but that conversation has changed drastically in, <laughs> right. 20, in 2019. Um, there's a lot of people calling for it, um, and I think it's uh, you know potentially now time for it, or at least like, there's the opportunity for it because like that, that that consumer uh, you know opinion has shifted uh, towards these technology companies.
1: Yeah, politics always follows consumer opinion to some extent. Politicians mm-hmm. are it's difficult for them to act on things like regulating an industry if consumers are enthralled with that industry, which up until a couple years ago, I think has been the case with the tech industry.
2: Right. The reason I was shaking my head that it's not bad is I feel like it's a correction. Right. I don't think it's a downfall of an industry. I don't think it's a downfall of brands not being able to use consumer data anymore. I think it often gets overblown in media, to be honest, but I think there are things that we can do as marketers and lessons we can learn from the way that these tech brands are operating and starting to correct now um, that I think can be big opportunities for us as brands and marketers.
1: Yeah, I think what's happening is that the tech companies had been so much closer to the consumer than a lot of traditional brands and have uh, been so beloved by the consumer that it was difficult for any other brand to really compete at that same level. And what we're seeing now is, like you said, it's a correction. It's not um, that te- tech is going to be hated. It's that they're going to be judged the same way that it, every other brand is judged. And I think that opens up opportunities for some of the most trusted and beloved brands from other industries to really compete for hearts and minds on the same playing field again.
2: Yeah,
0: absolutely. With that, we can jump straight into the very first Outlook trend, which is titled the unbundling of search and social. Uh, So Adam, do you want to give us a quick overview of this uh, Outlook trend? Yeah. So for the
1: past decade or so, search and social have been two of our major digital advertising uh, vectors um, outside of display, of course. And they've been really stable. Uh, and in the past couple of years, we've started to see opportunities uh, based around changing consumer behavior uh, for new entrants in these markets. So on the search side, that's because search is changing from just being about typing a phrase into a box and getting ten blue links, and turning into newer forms of search like voice search and visual search, which um, are increasing their share of the of searches that are happening on a daily basis. But they're actually probably more additive. They're not really replacing desktop and mobile, traditional desktop and mobile search. search. They're adding search behavior to places that search didn't make sense before, like when right. you're driving in the car or uh, you know when you see somebody wearing something or carrying something that you might want to buy out on the street. Um, and so that is changing the market a little bit. Google is certainly present in both of those places, uh, but it also is opening up the market to new New competitors in a way that it hasn't been for years um, on the desktop and mobile, right?
0: And like, like notably when it comes to you know Facebook and Google, and I think you mentioned this that these aren't going to be right out replaced immediately it's more of like these are more signals and signs that we're seeing that uh kind of with these newer technologies that are out there there are new opportunities but especially when it comes to like facebook and social uh just like this like larger tech lash has you know given way or opportunity uh for either brands to kind of step in and provide like a new environment or consumers are looking for these more niche environments that kind of tater more cater more towards their individual needs um rather than this kind of soaking up that like general kind of chaotic industry that's out there right now is like the the overview yeah right? i think
1: that the uh, the search side is being driven by innovation and you know changes to how consumers search on the social side i think a lot of it is being driven by consumer backlash um, against facebook and just general skepticism um, some of that is obviously being absorbed by instagram and that is certainly facebook's savior in this race for now i think yep. um but it's also opening up the opportunity for consumers are looking for more authentic, um, connected social experiences and a lot of them are. Uh, still using Instagram, but also going to places to find true community um, outside of uh, the larger apps. Um, and some of those are going to be run and hosted by brands. So we see things like what Nike is doing in fitness. Um, we see things like what's happening on Twitch. Um, and uh, there's a whole lot of uh, smaller examples of these niche communities that, um, you know, you don't have to connect with everyone you know all of the time. Um, Facebook, because it has become so you know, omnipresent really turned into like you were hanging out in Times Square all of the time with everyone you had <laughs> ever met. Um, and that is, in retrospect, it sort of seems like obvious that that's unsustainable, because that's not where you want to be all the time. Right. Um, and the same thing with Twitter, you know, Twitter was probably less people you knew and more people that you were just interested in. But it was still like being in public all the time. And we don't spend most of our time in public. And I think what we're seeing is a, a again, a correction. Um, so that, and a diversification of uh, of type, places and types of social interactions online. Yeah, absolutely.
0: With that, you know, we, we can move right into our uh, our second trend, which is called media haves and haves-nots. Christina, do you want to give us a quick overview of uh, this trend?
2: I think what we're seeing in the content space is an emerging bifurcation of the media that we consume across news and video and even music um, and what what this is a reaction to is the fact that during the election uh, and even recently on Facebook uh, with their news content and platform, uh, we're seeing the spread of disinformation and a lack of or a growing lack of consumer trust in the content that they are seeing on the internet. And as a result, savvy publishers are taking the content that is most trusted by consumers and putting it behind a paywall. And it's almost like a good housekeeping stamp of approval now to have subscription content. Um, the alternative to subscription content is ad-supported content. And ad-supported content, while there is the scale, uh, I think what we expect to see is over the next couple years, as more and more content retreats behind a paywall, ad tech will get more intrusive on ad supported sites. Um, Headlines will be designed more to pull more people in. It'll be just this increasingly uh, crowded, polluted space that um, you'll kind of see divided across uh, education income lines as well. So if you think about kind of um, ad people who can afford to buy into all of these subscription services versus people who can't afford that and have to go with ad supported models. Um, there will be kind of a difference in access to information across those lines, which raises a number of ethical concerns as well.
0: Yeah, but also from like a brand perspective, you're kind of seeing your like your audience split and become harder to reach because they are paying their way to avoid uh, traditional advertisements. So, like, what, what does that mean for brands? Like, how are brands going to be able to like reach these consumers?
1: Yeah, increasingly, I think it's going to be about um, finding those consumers inside the paywalls using either uh, product placement inside of content and product integration inside of content. Or creating truly premium branded content that is, you know, premium enough that it deserves to be behind a paywall. Um, and this is something we've been talking to brands about for years. And not a lot of brands actually invest in premium content to that level. Um, but we've also talked to a lot of premium content creators who are more than willing to work with a brand. And I do think we're going to see more and more brands come out as media producers. There's no reason why you know more brands can't be producing premium television shows, for example. Um, not, but you know, not by dictating the terms of them, but by funding them and working with creators to find creative ways to tell stories that resonate with the brand and that you know their brand can align with yeah i think of that for like like a
0: travel brand or hospitality brand you know why not just bring film production to your location on set whatever it might be because like that kind of creates that lifestyle around uh the brand itself but also like that location and that could be a way to kind of like drive consumers you know that aren't able to be reached through traditional advertisement, you know, to like your like to your your location.
1: So a great example of that. One thing that we had used as an example of a missed opportunity a few years ago is when Airbnb launched an Apple TV app um, and you could use it to browse properties. And I was like, well, where's the TV show that goes with this? Like, mm-hmm. why can't I just watch a TV show? And Property then maybe... Brothers. Right. Exactly. <laughs> well, I, I should, what I want to do on my Apple TV is watch a TV show. But if there were an Airbnb TV show that then linked to more details about the properties that they were featuring, that would make sense. Now, they didn't do that but what they did do is launch an airbnb magazine which we just learned yesterday was inside the premium apple news plus paywall um and uh i think that that it's not exactly the same thing but i think it is a it, it is showing how one brand is evolving their thinking around mm-hmm. um content and around how it fits behind those paywalls and on those platforms yeah absolutely yeah. um and I think that's a great
0: transition into the third outlook theme, which is which is titled "Every Brand is a Lifestyle Brand." So, Christina, like when we talk about like lifestyle brand in two thousand nineteen, like 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 what does that mean, and why is it so important for uh, brands to kind of be thinking this way?
2: Yeah, I think the term lifestyle brand isn't nothing new, but I think a number of forces are making it even more important and making it um, a new digitally enabled type of strategy that we see brands taking. And I think when you look at what's happening in uh, e-commerce, for example, if you're a product brand that's increasingly disintermediated by an Amazon or a Walmart, there are new things that you have to do and new business models and tactics that you need to adapt um, in order to create that one-to-one connection with consumers and get around those aggregators uh, to future-proof your business. And one way that we see that happening is uh, by taking a position as a lifestyle brand. So using things like social media or blog content or becoming content creators more broadly to create a lifestyle that not only touches your product, but expands into areas that are adjacent to your product. So think about Aesop, for example. They're a luxury uh, home goods, skincare brand, they have excellent soap. They have excellent, excellent soap. soap. <laughs> I'm a huge um, fan. But what they do that's really interesting is they create lifestyle pillars around that soap that bring to life what that consumer is, what they care about, and the community that they can get access to if they are to buy this $30 hand soap. So they'll talk about home decor, they'll talk about wellness, they'll talk about Lighting sage and purifying the energy in your home, and so they're th- being really conscious because of their relationship with the consumer to understand what consumers care about that buy into their brand portfolio, and then what content they can serve them to reinforce and drive brand love in the long term.
0: Yeah, and to that point, it's it's like they the uh, the, the consumers themselves are like allowing uh, that brand to kind of come in and fill that. Fill, fill, fill that space um, and like the consumer dictates what you know, they will give access a brand to uh, and it's interesting because uh, I think consumers today are now asking more and more brands to either align with their lifestyles or have a purpose that they can get behind uh, to help them kind of navigate like the larger just like you
1: know chaos that is this kind of like political environment that we're in today yeah. yeah increasingly it's about purpose and that purpose can be you know something trivial it can be aesthetic like in the case of aesop like I just want my home to be nice and relaxing and look clean and, and you know pleasant. Um, or it can be larger and more political. It can be about um, environmentalism or women's rights or and any number of other things that brands can align to and that increasingly consumers are asking them to align yeah. to.
2: And the more I think about it too, I think that is exactly a response to just how many products are out there right now, how many commodity products are out there right now. And even you can think about too, like how much content is out there. There is too much stuff out there for consumers to pay attention to and buy and know about. And so I think what i expect behavior where i expect behavior to go in kind of the next couple years is a calling down of the brands that consumers choose to associate with and really being focused and curatorial around i only want the brands in my life that will either give me superb convenience or um reflect the certain life that i want to live whether that's a well curated home or whether that's a brand that takes a stand on the issues that i care about but I, I think, especially what we see with direct-to-consumer brands, is you don't need 17 different mascaras under one brand portfolio. That's hard to shop, um, and consumers just don't need that much stuff. And I think there's growing backlash to stuff right now.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Um, and I think you know when looking at like that convenience, like it's really hard to to beat convenience and i think that's one of these things that these lifestyle brands uh, these purpose-driven brands are providing um, you know like we said is that, that is that that curation of products uh, to make their life more convenient and more more seamless um, on that note i want to jump straight into our last outlook theme uh, it's all about automation which is titled automation interrupted um, adam What are your thoughts? What is the background? Are the robots here? Are they coming? Um,
1: The robots are here, but they're coming slowly towards us. Um, the 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 thinking, uh, the thought behind this trend is that uh, if. Uh, we hadn't seen this um, sort of fake, didn't really have this correction phase um, with the tech industry. What we would be talking 100% about now, what a lot of this outlook would be about is about automation, whether that is artificial intelligence or robotics or driverless cars. This is really sort of the forefront of the tech industry right now. But because of the way that the industry is interacting with the rest of our culture, um, what it means is that those things are going to be adopted slower than uh, if if consumers Consumers were still sort of in thrall with uh, with tech, mm-hmm. um, and um, that's going to there's going to be government pushback and regulation, and it's going to take a little bit longer for these things to come to market than um, we you know would be expecting. Again, if they were, uh, it's not going to be uh, it, we're not going to jump straight from the smartphone to driverless cars uh, overnight. Even though technically they may be ready for market um, sooner rather than later. Um, and, uh, it's really at the end of the day about consumer trust. Um, and it's about, um, you know, brands being careful about how they adopt automation technologies and the timing around those things, because some of those things will seem threatening to consumers either because of their current relationship to the tech industry or because they will, they also will be the things that will start to displace consumers, uh, and in their jobs. Um, Mm because an important thing to remember is that consumers are also, um, workers, uh, for these companies and automating, uh, your, warehouse or your uh you know your restaurant uh, back well not back office what do you call it kitchen kitchen <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so, that could be the back office, you know, a in a restaurant, of the a a kitchen. Restaurant. So <laughs> automating things in your um, in your warehouse or your restaurant's kitchen um, sounds great from a business perspective. And it, it, it is. And it, inevitably, those things will happen. But also, those are going to put people out of work. And right. I think there's a growing uh, distrust of consumer sentiment around... Um, even if it's not that them individually, which it's probably not, uh, they will see other people who are being affected by it. And there might be some some larger scale pushback to this in, this in a more dramatic way than we're seeing even with privacy issues right now.
2: And that's, I think, why you see a number of the tech platforms being really conscious and making sure it gets into PR that they are working on things like affordable housing in the cities that they operate in or um, lobbying in Washington about various things. I think you're starting to see them realize the impending backlash on a larger scale to Adam's point, um, and are being conscious about it. Hopefully that gets pulled through into consistent action over time that does drive results beyond PR and marketing. Mm -hmm. Um, but companies like Accenture, for example, they have a, they have a platform that automated back office, uh, operations and other <laughs> uh, re- repeated tasks that they piloted internally. It's called Synops. Um, they piloted it internally, and it's like accounting functions and marketing functions um, that actually displaced 40,000 of their workers internally. That they consciously put programs in place to reskill all of those workers. Um, and I think as they roll out this type of um, automated platform to their clients now, right. To drive cost efficiencies. Um, Hopefully they keep the same attention into reskilling workers and what happens when this system cuts out thousands of jobs from their clients.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a, Something that, that that's going to be balanced, um, because if it leans, you know, w- too much one way towards the automation side, it's going to be very hard for brands to be, you know, selling to uh, a disgruntled audience that knows that you know XYZ brand displaced me by that, so I don't want to, you know,
1: actually go and purchase their product. Yeah, um, and I think all of these things are cases where. The tech industry and government are going to have to work closely together. So, uh, getting the the politicians on their side is going to be important um, in terms of both managing worker displacement, but also things like <clears throat> driverless cars. One of the biggest challenges is just going to be um, regulation and laws around them, and um, they're going to need to work with politicians to solve those problems. Yep. And I
2: think the interesting part about it too is a lot of the a lot of what consumers see will be the benefit of automation. Right? I can mm-hmm. get exactly what I want from Amazon whenever I want it, and it will get delivered even faster. And it'll get delivered right to my doorstep, into my apartment, into my refrigerator or whatever. Um, And that's great. If I'm a consumer and I'm working and I can get what I need when I want it, that's awesome. But what you're not seeing and why I think this is especially important is you're not seeing into the factory. You're not seeing into the logistics and supply chain. All you're seeing is benefit. um, And I think that raises, uh, e- raises the level of importance for, uh, companies, tech platforms and brands alike to work with governments to make sure that proactively that's solved for.
0: Yeah. Well, any last comments on the, uh, 2019 outlook? I think you, I think that was perfect so great so with that if you're uh looking for more information or how we can help apply this uh thinking and outlook to your brand or business uh please feel free to reach out uh we are here to help um so if you're looking for more great content please check out our website ipglab.com from there you can subscribe to our weekly newsletter uh you can follow us on twitter and instagram at ipglab uh, and if you like tell your friends uh give us a review on apple Podcasts. we greatly appreciate it so thank you and talk soon.